Good morning, everyone. How are you today? I've come to the conclusion after that navigation exercise a little earlier that we need to rename the South Hall. It is now the East Hall. <laughs> and I shall be raising that at the next church meeting. Um, distraction. When you wash your hands in the cloakroom in the foyer and, and look in the mirror just to check your colors are okay, you hold your hands underneath the paper towel dispenser waiting for the hot air. That was distraction this morning. Uh, but we're dealing with a sort of somewhat more serious level of distraction in this series which we started last week and you can pick up last week's message um, by listening to it via the website. You can download it or you can podcast it. Uh, how many people here actually automatically download the podcasts? Not many. This, this, it's easy to do. Just set up your iPhone or your Android to, to download it and it automatically comes to your to you each week if you want to, and uh, it's a great way to review it or to catch up. I, I want you to, to picture the scene 30 minutes after the end of this service. So most people have got their tea or their, their coffee. Um, some of the parents of the younger children are struggling to stay on their feet at this stage as, as their children try to get them away from that boring conversation and the way they're pulling, they're pulling her down as well as uh, sideways and, and it, it's an effort. You see them sort of staggering sometimes, uh, with, especially when there's two or three of them doing the same thing to, to one parent. A few minutes later, uh, some of the teenagers despairing that their parents will ever stop talking, uh, employ a variety of techniques to, to get them moving toward the exit. And just as a group of students are walking out, um, one of them is stopped by Joe Hawker, uh, and the others just grab that person's arms and rescue them from committing to the New Year party more than the night before. Then there's that couple where one of them has been talking while the, the other patiently waits. And just as it looks as though they're making their way out of the door, the talker catches the speaker's eye, and you can just imagine another conversation about to begin. Perceptively, their spouse grabs their arm and leads them out into the car park. I'm rather glad that my wife at the moment is leading common threads this morning because she would identify with that person pulling their spouse away. Well, today we're going to go on a visit to Bethany. Bethany uh, is in the southern part. You see, I have a reputation to restore after not having a map last time. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Bethany is in the southern part of the land we would know as Israel. You can see that it's uh, very close to Jerusalem. It's just a couple of miles east of Jerusalem. And in this village, um, a brother and two sisters, uh, that's Lazarus with his sisters, uh, Martha and Mary, lived. And the story we are going to read is from Luke chapter 10. If you're wanting to use one of the church Bibles, it's on page 1042 in the church Bibles. It'll be on the screen, and it reads from verse 38 through to verse 42 from Luke chapter 10. 
As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So just to fill you in a little bit here, this is the best map I could find, the sort of more local map. But as I, um, let's see if I can get that going. So there's the, the city of Jerusalem. You can see that area there, the Temple Mount. Uh, and then there's a steep uh, drop down this escarpment here into the Kidron Valley. And then there's an equally sharp climb up the Mount of Olives. And you can go one of two routes. You can either go via Bethphage or down on the Jericho Road, uh, and you'll get to Bethany. The, the modern village that sort of claims to be that is, is actually a little bit further to the east of that, but originally Bethany would have been there, a, a distance of, of no more than a couple of miles from, from the city of Jerusalem. So the setting is that Jesus came with his disciples to a village uh, called Bethany where a woman named Martha opened her, her home to him. I don't know what you uh, picture when you see somebody opening their home. Is it just merely a question of opening the front door and saying, come on inside? But, but the word that's used in, in the original uh, Greek tra- uh, here, the, the word hupodekamai, it, it implies something more than that. It's, it's an eager acceptance. It's an open-hearted welcome. It's like her saying, I can't wait to have you come into my house. You are so important to me. Please honor me with your presence. That was Martha. Uh, And I want to to fix that thought in our minds that Martha is the person who's making this exceptionally warm, inviting welcome of Jesus and the disciples into their home. Her excitement and her enthusiasm sets the stage. But as we move on, we can picture the scene that the people are there and, and perhaps there wasn't a week's notice. Perhaps she hadn't planned to do the shopping a couple of days early and get everything in, and and suddenly she's now in the situation where she wants to treat her guests really well. And so she's beavering away um, in in the back there, trying to get the meal ready to really offer a, a quality of hospitality. But... She's the only one doing it. Her sister isn't involved. And one of the lessons that we see from this passage as we address what happens is that distraction is often good. Okay, let let me amend that. How about this? Distraction is often with the good. What she was doing wasn't bad. 
what she was doing was wanting to present the, 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 the full extent of that hospitality in the way of a, a, a meal and, and, and a home that was welcoming. But increasingly, you can imagine her frustration building up because she was doing this. And there was her sister not helping at all. There was a sister lazing around, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to the teacher. She said, my sister has left me to do the work. Jesus, of course, responded and included the words, Mary has chosen what is better. He didn't say what you're doing is not good. He didn't say it's unnecessary. Although I suspect it wasn't necessary because if she had prepared no food, maybe that would have been another chance for a feeding of not the 5,000, but at least maybe the dozen people in the house. And Jesus was you know, well capable of providing. So imagine... If you'd asked Martha the next day, so how was your time with Jesus yesterday? What was it like? Well, I don't remember much of it. I was in the back room cooking and cleaning. But if you asked Mary, she'd say, oh, let me tell you, Jesus said this and, and, and then that, and I, and I saw this about myself. Jesus said, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. That's how distraction works. You trade in something that you only get one shot at for a load of things that in the scheme of things are not that important. What was that quote that I purloined from Roger? He gave us from Pete Gregg. God loves us too much. He will do anything, and I mean anything, to attract us away from life's distractions, even Christian distractions, even good distractions, so that uh, we will at last find ourselves solely in the source of all joy. One of the things that Satan will try to do is to distract us from the eternal. If we were to turn to, to Matthew chapter 13 and the parable of the sower, where it, the, the parable Jesus explains in verse 18, when he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. If you are not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, if you haven't yet made that firm commitment to take him on as the authority, the ruler in your life, the Lord of your life, if you have not yet come to him, and sought forgiveness for your rebellion against him and received that forgiveness which is freely available, may I encourage you not to let yourself be distracted? This is an eternal issue. 
This is more than a matter of life and death. This seals your fate for all eternity. What you do with Jesus Christ. Do not let yourself be distracted by things that are less important. Even things that are good. That needs to be your number one priority. Many of us face the distraction drug. You know that if you take um, non-prescription drugs, it's possible if you uh, take too much of the wrong kind that you will become addicted to those drugs. In fact, it's even possible with prescription drugs, isn't it, of some kinds. But there are distractions that we deal with that have a similar effect. You might call it the dopamine hit. That, that drug, that chemical gets released in your brain when you do certain things. It's like the, the one-armed bandit in the casino. Somebody's standing there and they're watching the dials go round and they're pressing the buttons and they didn't win that time but they'll try it again. They'll feed some more coins in and try again because it's that buzz, it's that drug. And of course, not that long ago, there's been a real move in, in the betting shops, hasn't there, to reduce, uh, sorry, to, to, ma- to limit the maximum bet on, on these small repetitive bets that, that, that people can put on because so, they were so addictive and people were losing so much money. So it might be those social media hits, those likes that you're chasing, or that feeling of not wanting to be left out. So you pick out what you want to find out. And then there's that idea of multitasking. Have you ever tried it? Can I assure you it doesn't work? Multitasking was a a term invented by IBM in the 1960s to describe what one of their computers could do. It could process more than one thing at a time. But there's been plenty of research of the way that humans behave to say that if you try multitasking, you actually are doing several things badly because you're not giving them your focused attention. But we think we're better than that and we allow ourselves to be distracted from the task at hand. Is multitasking your life with Jesus something you should be careful about? Is your distraction an idol? An idol, very simply, is something we attribute greater importance to than we do to God. So there could be any number of things which in themselves are not bad and in themselves could be quite good but nevertheless they become an idol because of the way we use them. Because of the way they become a priority to us. Because of the way they take us away from our relationship with and our love for and obedience to God. Distraction entices an empty heart. So let's fill our hearts with God that that might be not the case.
And then we have to address the issue that not all distractions are distractions. Because if, if I stopped now, some of us would feel quite guilty because we've allowed certain things to interrupt when in fact those are good things. So we need to ask the question, is what we're dealing with a distraction or a divine interruption? Is it something where God wants us to drop what we're doing because there's something more important? Jesus, for example, wouldn't be distracted. So in Matthew chapter 12, let me read to you um, some verses here. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mothers and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, now we know from other passages, Jesus placed a high priority on the welfare of his mother. So you need to read that in that context. But in this situation, what was happening, his family coming to him was a distraction from what he was divinely ordained to do. And he didn't want to be distracted. And then in John chapter 4, when Jesus met the woman at the well of Sychar in Samaria, his disciples came back from the village with some food. He'd been engaged in conversation with this woman at the well. And in verse 31, we read, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus was not a person who was distracted from what he needed to do. But Jesus was interruptible. So, for instance, we read in John chapter 5 of where he came to the pool of Siloam, which is on the uh, south side of Jerusalem. In fact, it's on the uh, west. You're not getting another map. Okay. Uh, Just south of the temple area is the old city of David, and the pool of Siloam is on the the western side of that. And um, the, the pool was discovered... In, in about 2004, there is constantly archaeological excavation going on in Israel. It will never be exhausted. And many of the excavations, because over the years the city layers have been built up on top of each other, you know, quite some distance down. But, but the Pool of Siloam has been discovered. In fact, um, it is at the end of a tunnel, a long tunnel cut through the rock called Hezekiah's Tunnel. Uh, and, and that tunnel was uh, used to supply water to, to a besieged city. It was dug out to provide a flow of water. And, and it's possible to go into this tunnel um, to, to walk through it. It takes about 20 minutes, and you're wading through water that is between ankle and, and, and thigh deep along the way. And that's Richard Moats there uh, going through the tunnel. 
And I, and I had the pleasure of this view for about 20 minutes uh, as, as, as we wandered through that. But this is a distraction, isn't it? So let's get back to the Pool of Siloam, right? Uh, and it was a Sabbath. And of course, f- Jewish people were taught that they shouldn't be doing work on a Sabbath. But Jesus came to the Pool of Siloam and there was a man there who'd been lame for many years and was keen to get into the waters when they were stirred, believing that, that he would be healed. But we read it in, in, in some of these verses, verses 8 and onwards, Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And verse 16, because, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. So Jesus was interruptible. My experience is that some of the most significant conversations you can have happen when they are an interruption. When your teenager wants to speak to you, it's on their timetable, not yours. And so it's quite important that you regard it not as a distraction. That conversation with your neighbor, just as you're loading up the car, ready to go somewhere, but it's that opportunity that, that, that leads to some conversation, an in-depth conversation about their welfare or, or even their spiritual need. And inside, you're thinking, can I talk about this? But it's an interruption that may well be a divine interruption. Think back, many of us, to our own salvation, to that point when we came to realize that Jesus should be our Savior too. Let me tell you, I bet God interrupted you in life to make that point, didn't he? He didn't let you get on. It's a bit like that quote that Roger gave. He will do anything to attract us away from life's distractions. So we need to be discerning to understand the difference between a distraction and a divine interruption. And I don't think it's always easy to recognize that. It's a whole lot easier with hindsight, isn't it? It's a whole lot easier to look back and realize what God had been doing during that incident when at the time we may have viewed it as a distraction. But the closer we are to him, the less we are distracted from our relationship with him and and spend time with him in in our Bible reading, in our prayer, in our meditation on the scriptures, the more easy it's going to be for God to help us to see those occasions when we have a divine interruption or a divine appointment in life. Let's pray. If you'd like, the prayer I'm going to pray is up on the screen. If you'd like to follow it along, please do. Father, help me to listen to the prompting of your spirit 
so that I might avoid unhealthy distractions and be open to divine interruptions. And where some distractions have become a damaging habit, may I be both brave and humble enough to seek the support that I need. Amen. <laughs>